Stephen's there. He's processing. He is, he is telling these Pharisees, and he's talking to these people, and he is laying down the scripture. And if you got to listen to these words, these are what I would consider fighting words. You stiff-necked people. Let's just start right out. Like sometimes we th- we've made the Bible sometimes PG, and it's not PG. You know, we, got, we know the stories in a way to tell children, but when you actually start listening to these, these are challenging words. These are, these are hard words, and these need to challenge our heart as well. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not, that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the religious one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashing their teeth. That is, have you ever been uh, like when you were in high school or when, I don't know, maybe you haven't, but have you ever been around someone that is just, they've lost it? They're angry or mad. You know, I don't know. I was around uh, a lot of, like I tell stories of sports. I had guys that would be like, try to show that bravado. Like, yeah, I'm tougher. But then all of a sudden you said something that really ticked them off. Then they don't really know what to do. And they're just, mm, like you can see it. They're, you see it on their face. You see it everything. That's where they're at. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. Imagine the scene. Like, they're there. Stephen is saying, I see Jesus and he's at the right hand. He's the Son of God. He is who he is and you're missing it. And they are literally putting their hands over their ears, yelling as loud as you can. Can you imagine that scene? They are furious. This is not just like, hey, yeah, we don't like what you're saying. It's like, ah! I was going to scream, but I, I was actually going to have my daughter come up and scream. They have a pitch that I don't know. I'm losing hearing in this ear. And it has nothing to do with old age. It's all her. Dad! So... But they're yelling because they want to drown out the sound because to them it is blasphemy. To them it is bad. There's this. There's a separation. It is, there is a tension there. And then so they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. You got to imagine. They're probably throwing him forward. And he's falling forward and they're pushing him out to execute him. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing. Because just a little bit earlier, they threw their coats down at him. They threw threw their coats down at him because they were getting ready to throw those stones at them. They were getting ready. And Saul approved of their killing. And on that day, great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. 
Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So we got to know a little bit about what Saul's going on. Most of us have known that story, but you got to imagine why is Saul so part of this? Why is he so furious? What's going on? Christianity is just starting to take off. Christianity, the Holy Spirit has happened in Acts 2. It's what we talked about last week. And now all of a sudden, people are finding the true Messiah. They are finding Christ fits all of what the Old Testament. Now, this is a problem because the way is spreading especially in Jewish areas and in the geography, they are starting to take those nations. Saul is in the middle of this, and he has became, they see this as a major threat to Christianity. And as you look back through all of this, Saul is seeking permission, just as he was, to go and kill them and to go imprison them. And one of the things that we even talked about earlier at Sunday School that really stuck out is he wanted them to turn and admit their blasphemy. He wanted to admit that they were wrong. And as you just saw, he was, he approved of their killing and he saw after them. That leads to point number one. Saul had the stature, not the savior. If you look back and in Philippians 3, 5 puts it this way and there's other things. You, know, you can see multiple places through Paul explains all the stuff that he is and all of what he's been about. He was born to Jewish family, uh, parents, who were also Roman citizens. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was that. And this is uh, what we talked about. uh, We talked about a little bit. A Hebrew of Hebrews. He was proud to be a Hebrew. At that time, there were many people in the Jewish culture that were cool are okay with like, hey, how do I fit into this Roman culture? You know, how can I walk both lines? You don't see that today, do you? (laughs) Like, how can I live this godly life, but also have enough to do what I want to do? One example is, and I'm not, I I know uh, some of these are my friends, uh, but there's like even this trend right now of pastors that like, it's uh, sneaker pastors. Because they wear the really cool sneakers because each Sunday because it relates to other people it's a relating right what was funny is I just wanted to see if this happened all of you looked at my shoes you're like what shoes is he wearing is he wearing the new Jordans the new Nikes and uh, people are but the pastors would do that and but it does wrestle with me a little bit is how much are we trying to be of the world and how much are we really following God and that, so a Hebrew of a Hebrew is he is loyal to the one true God. He is loyal to him. As N.T. Wright worship, uh, puts it, he says, Worship the one God and do what he says, and the promised garden is yours. Worship other gods and you will face exile. He wanted to follow the one true God. Uh, when I was growing up, I... There were things that, like, I loved Batman. I loved G.I. Joes. I loved Michael Jordan basketball. So since I couldn't be Batman or a G.I. Joe, I decided I was going to try to be Michael Jordan because I could do that more regularly. Of course, I could make a mask, but I just knew it was just too big of a commitment. So when I was growing up, most of you, like, you've had someone you idolized or someone you followed. Me, 
it was, it was, I wanted to be really good. I would, does the tongue actually work? You know, because Michael Jordan would uh, use his tongue as he was going around making layups and all that kind of stuff. Or he'd be out there, so I'd be out there practicing free throws. I wanted to also be able to shoot like Calvert Chaney. He, he dribbled three times every time, the same times of free throws. You know, I wanted to be the exact same way. So I would pick and choose people that I wanted to follow so then I could sort of be like them, like it magically made the shot. But I tried to emulate those actions. Saul was so good into the Torah, he wanted to emulate those people as well. David, Elijah. And one of the big stories is uh, that of the story of when Israel would turn away from their, God, their one true God and follow false gods. And one of those stories is when the people got with the Moabite women. They, were, they found Moabite women. They had turned. And it's always funny because it's not always that the men would just be with the women, which was one wrong. But what would they do from there? They would turn to their gods. They would turn to other idols. They would, it would infect them. It's so funny that you see one little thing get accepted and then so much spreads from that. It's never just the one thing. It's never. And so what's happened is the, it happens here. And so what happens is they start taking in and it starts infecting. And then there's a plague along the place. And then that was it. Phoenicus had had enough. He realized he saw one of the Israel men take a woman into the tent right in front of Moses, right in front of everything. So what's he do? He takes a spear. He goes in there and he kills them both. I said the Bible's not PG. <laughs> kills them both and the plague's over. And then Phoenicus is looked at as a hero through the Old Testament. Like, we have to realize this is what Saul is seeing happen right now as he sees the way beginning. He thinks we, they are following another false ally. So he is on zeal. He is on point that I am going to stop this. I am going to do that. Paul had amazing credentials, or Paul, Saul had amazing credentials and thought he was following, yet, uh, following God yet his works were actually persecuting Jesus. He had all the stats. He had all the stature because he was a Pharisee. He was righteous and blameless in the Jewish law. But he did not have the Savior. He had missed it. The question that you have to ask yourself is, do you have the stats and the stature but not the Savior? Do you have the credentials like, hey, I show up on Sunday. I follow God, but have you missed the Savior? You can have all the stats. does not mean that you have Jesus. And that leads to point number two. We will be confronted by Christ. It might not be the blinding light that Saul's going to experience here, but in some way you will all be confronted by Christ and who Christ is. If you go back to what Delatia had read in Acts 9, we start in verse 3. It says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. That's where I feel like I would be like, what is going on? Like stood speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but then he opened his eyes and he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And we talk about this a little bit later. Saul gives an account later to this, and he explains this in Acts 26, 14, if you want to write down that note. He says this, he says, And when we fell, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Or in that time, kick against the prick. So what is that goad? What is that prick? What is that process? Uh, we talked a little bit of it back down in Sunday school, but it is a long, extremely sharp stick used to get the ox to go the correct direction. So you would poke it, correct? To frame it the right way. Well, Paul is kicking back. Kick him back. Because he was stubborn. How many of us are stubborn? How many of us kick back? God is leading us a direction. He's been guiding us. He's been correcting us. He's confronted us. And we kick back. We don't want that. That's not the direction I want to go. We kick back. How many times has Jesus entered into your world and you dismissed it? Many Christians today are confronted by stuff in our lives and just continue on. Many non-Christians have been given the seed and a huge neon sign of saying, Jesus is here, this is, this is the way, and we kick back because we don't want that. We fight against it even though God is continually trying to enter into that. I found it really interesting. I was, uh, it really processed something uh, in my uh, mind. It goes, if you would take, if my great-grandma, now my grandma, I, do, I can't do it to my grandma because my grandma is the most holy person I've ever met in my life. So I have very high regard for her. Yes, she was a sinner. I get that. But she was very high stature. So I'm going to say, her grandma, if she would come back into the world today how would she think that we're living as a people? Would she be disgusted by some of the stuff going on? And I'm telling you, that would be a 70 to 100 year time span. Us humans have had a lot of work that we've been able to do since Adam and Eve. Like, I think sometimes we like to judge our good actions by the culture that we're in. That, hey, compared to other things, I'm doing very well. That's not the standard we're called to. We're called to the Bible. We're called to the biblical standard. 
We're called to that. So when God is correcting, I think a lot of times we're like, yeah, but I'm not this person. I start comparing. I start putting in a different direction, and I start kicking back. I kick back. And you know what it's actually doing? It's actually hurting myself. It's hurting myself when I'm kicking, and that's what the confrontation is all about here. But then Saul does something very smart. He asks the question, who are you, Lord? Okay? He's starting to see that there is authority here, and I need to recognize it. He doesn't know it's Jesus. He, he's, who are you, Lord? He sets aside his assumptions. He sets aside all the assumptions in his worldview for those minutes to seek who this Lord is and what's going on. And he began to seek Jesus. We need to seek Jesus. We need to know him. And we need to uh, try to make Jesus known around the world. But we also need to know him and not make him fit into our worldview. It is one of the biggest struggles right now in Christian culture. And I'll be completely honest. Uh, the things that I see in church today break my heart. It does. I don't want to call out certain people, but you can, call, you can look at a bunch of stuff. And I'm, I am 100% saying I am not perfect. I will make mistakes. I, the I, blood is for me that Jesus died on the cross. But I also want to say there are times where haven't you ever had your profession and you just see of people doing things that aren't ethically right or uh, aren't good in your profession and it makes you upset. It's like, that's not right. That's not how I would do that. That's not, that's not the right way to do things. And then I see it in the church and then I start understanding a little bit of where Saul's coming from. Like, this is wrong. And we start, are we, are we that way with our own lives though? We're very good at looking at other people. And that's why it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to be responsible for that. You know what I'm going to be responsible for? Why that songs we're singing is, and when I was coming up, this is, it kept in my, uh, my heart. It's like, I'm responsible for what I say to God when I pass away. That is convicting. That is okay. That is, a, that is okay. Do I let God lead me or do I kick at that moment? I want God to lead me. I want God to be in charge. I want God to direct me. When I was, so many times when we don't go within assumptions, uh, sometimes that prick is painful. Sometimes it's not fun. It's not good in our mind at that moment. Pain can lead us in the right direction. So many times of us as Christians, we've, and I've talked about this before, we, want, we think the easy way is God's way. That's not usually the case. One thing for me is, and this happened about probably six, seven years ago, I used to, I, for uh, a first span, I, I started to have major nightmares. Major nightmares. And they were nightmares in the sense of that I would not wish them on my worst enemy. I was in total darkness. Now, I could say the word black. It would not give it justice. It was like that feeling of just black, darkness. 
And then all of a sudden, I could feel like evil getting closer. And then all of a sudden, I felt my body being paralyzed, like where I couldn't do anything. And the only thing, and I'm 100%, and this is the first time I've ever told this, this story, besides to my wife, the only time I could get out of it is if I could get the name of Jesus out of my mouth. If I could go, Jesus. But I was so paralyzed, I couldn't do it, like at times. And it was just like evil coming in. I, there's, I'm not saying like, oh, this is that or whatever. But through that pain, I will tell you, I started seeking God more fervently. I was like, okay, God, what, it, this better be from you. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Am I, is this, or am I being attacked? Am I, I don't know. Like, I didn't know. What's going on? And all of a sudden, uh, that pain and suffering got me more into the word. That pain and suffering led me more to who Christ is, who God is. That the, I'll tell you one thing, the name of Jesus has power. The name of Jesus has power in my life and, and, and in your lives. And as you go through that, and most of you might have a different story or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the dreams went away like after a bunch of prayer. It wasn't like one magical thing happened. But I will tell you, it changed me. It was a, a scary thing at that moment because I realized I had no control. And I think what really happened was I realized I didn't have as much control as I thought I did. I think that was, like, I think a lot of times as pastors, we're good with our mouth so we can get out of situations or we can like, hey, I can do this. And at that moment, I couldn't do anything except call on him. And I think some of us, we are really good in certain sections of our lives. We're very comfortable. But then whenever there's a stretch, do we depend on God or do we not? That leads to point number three. And this is probably one of the hardest points. Saul left his current stature our stature, for suffering and future glory in Christ. If you continue on in Acts 9, this is what's happening in 8, verses 16, and I'm going to uh, go through this pretty quickly, is there at Damas uh, there's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and he said, the Lord says to him, Get up and go to the street uh, called the Strait. And inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarnus named Saul, for he is praying. But this is what I do love. Ananias goes like, he says this, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints or your holy ones. He is, uh, are you sure about this guy? I know what this Saul has done. But in verse 15, it says this, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffer. Uh, I was talking with Brad, and he said the persecutor, will, would become, or the persecutor would become the persecuted. Saul is going to suffer for his name's sake. 
Also in Philippians 1, 29, 30, it says this. If you just want to write that down, look at it later. It says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw, I have had now here that I have. N.T. Wright says this, that Saul, Paul, this all makes sense. That the establishment of this new kind of kingdom on earth as in heaven, a kingdom with Jesus as king, the kingdom, and Paul is quite emphatic about it, is that Israel's God has always intended to set it up this way. Human speakingly, this was, of course, a fragile project. It was bound to be, since its character was taken from the starting point, the Messiah's shameful death. So many of us are, are looking at, it all starts with the Messiah's death of suffering. Why would not his people have to suffer? We have changed that, that the Messiah did not have a shameful death. He did. As Paul would later insist, the way in which the kingdom was put into effect was always going to be the same through the suffering of its members, particularly its leaders. In all this, Paul is not just willing to suffer for the Lord, but he does so in Jesus' name. I think a lot of times we don't talk much about suffering. We don't talk much about pain. We don't talk much about the stonings. I've heard pastors even say, hey, try Jesus out for 60 days and see what happens. Just, just give it a try. That's not what we're called to do. Jesus is not an outfit you just put on. And I think too many of us have tried to put it on in different situations, in different settings. We'll put it on when we come on Sunday church. And maybe we'll put it on in a different spot. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to do it all the time. And does our suffering lead to a deeper knowledge and commitment to Christ? The confrontation on the road of Damascus occurs every time you open the scripture. Every time you open the scripture, a bright light of God is being flashed in front of your eyes. It might not be like Saul, but the words of wisdom and truth are, be, are confronting your life. And the reason why I know this is because they confront my, my life every time I open up the Bible. It's funny, there are a lot of times when I read scripture, I don't love preaching on it on Sunday because it is challenging, it is hard. And I have to decide at that moment, is it all right for that prick to hit me? And it might be painful, it might be lessening my pride. Do, I, do you think I love admitting my mistakes to you? That is what is amazing about Paul, Saul. You know how we get most of those stories to Luke? It's Saul telling him those stories of him persecuting Christians, of him going attacking, him having to relive all the mistakes, all the pain, all the suffering that he caused on people that he now loves. But there's also a blessing in that. In the sense that you look back at your own life 
And you are very thankful that God loves Saul. Paul. Saul, even through all that mess up, all the, the pain and the suffering that Saul caused, God still reached out. God's still there. The difference is Saul was 100% committed to Jesus. I'm asking you, in your suffering, in your pain, are you fully committed? What has following Christ cost you? Only you can answer that. And my other question is, has it cost you anything? Because if it hasn't, then I would question. Are you willing to suffer for his name? Jesus died and rose again, not for you to have your wishes granted, but for us to have a relationship and for you to bend the knee to him. What a great opportunity you have. Do you bend the knee to him? Do you have a relationship with him? Because through all of it, no matter your sin, no matter, you see a life of Saul right here. And the big thing is, is right now is, I put the sermon as Saul to Paul. The cliffhanger is, is we get to Paul the next week. Because they're the same. And a lot of times people think that Jesus changed his name. Jesus didn't change his name. And we'll go over why Paul's name is the way it is next week. But you've got to know the two men are the same. And we can't separate them. It's his life. And too many of us are too afraid to talk about what we've done in the past until we found Jesus. I think some of us need to be a little bit more open, being like, these were my fault. My faults, these are my failures. And I'm only saved because of what Jesus did, not my actions. That, because now it's not about Saul Paul anymore, it's about Jesus, where it was always meant to be. Because we view it as suffering when we say our faults and our failures. You know what it does? It glorifies him. It glorifies Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing.